everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we'll discuss the films. Wait, not just kidding. It's anti-trash still, and we're continuing with the anti-trash western with a 2018 release that will probably find its way into a film studies course because it's Coen Brothers, because it's Oscar-nominated, and all of that good stuff. But it's also in accordance with this week month's theme. Month's theme. It is a western. It is that. It is several westerns, in fact. We are watching The Ballad of Buster, Strug- Bus- Buster Scruggs. There you uh, go. A washed-up 70s lounge singer that we'll talk more about here in just a little bit. Um, but no, that is the movie, and so here we go. we got to introduce the voices speaking to your brains. Who are you guys? Uh, to my left, sir, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and first time? <laughs> Nope, not me. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, across the table, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and don't let my white duds and pleasant demeanor fool you. I've been too known to violate the statutes of man, and not a few of the laws of the Almighty. And that was my line, too, but that's okay. Um, uh, my name's Dustin Sells, and I did that, too. Um, glad to be here with you all, <laughs> talking uh, the ballad of Buster, Buster Scruggs. I can't say those words for some reason. It's, it, it's a hard one. It, I, look, I think that's on purpose. Yeah, probably so. So it is an anthology-style film. It's a series of short vignettes strung together by Joel and Ethan Cohen, um, starring various and sundry luminaries of uh, cinema. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody's in this movie. So, yeah, it's got all the people doing all the things, but they're doing them in a Western context. Uh, if you're tuning into the Good Trash Undercast for the very first time, let me warn you as to what's going to happen. This is not a review show. It is an analysis show. And so we will spoil all five vignettes. Well, maybe not. But we are definitely going to deal with how they end and what their twists, uh, and many times they are indeed twists, how they will twist. And as such, uh, we were going to be spoiler heavy, but we'll avoid that for the first part of the show. We'll have a thumbs up, thumbs down set of reviews from my dear co-host and myself. Um, that's after we have a synopsis, which is also, of course, spoiler free. And then after that, we'll play a game, which might involve a gentle spoiler or two. And then we'll move right into our analysis in which all spoiler bets are off. So... Without any further ado, Dr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear that synopsis, please. He's preparing himself. Arthur Gordon steps up to plate. Simply, six tales of life and violence in the Old West, following a singing gunslinger, a bank robber, a traveling impresario, an elderly prospector, a wagon train, and a perverse pair of bounty hunters. Are they that perverse? Oh, they're a little perverse, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway, there you go. That is the movie and uh, the movies within the movie. Um, let's move right into those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Dalton, do you like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Tell me why or why not. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, look, uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie, so you know it's going to be at least some kind of halfway decent, uh, or at least you're hoping it will be. And uh, I think this delivers. I mean, it, it gives you what you expect from the Coens. It's it's dark. It's funny. It's sad. It, it, it's uh, a navigation of all the tones they like to to work within. I think if you look at any one of the six uh, shorts in here, uh, whether it's uh, Meal Ticket or All Gold Canyon, uh, the girl, the gal who got rattled, I think all of these kind of fit very firmly in what you expect from the Coens. I mean, you've got your slapstick, uh, especially in Buster Scruggs, you kind of got that high level, real silly um, burn after reading type thing going on. I think with Meal Ticket, you've got the bleakness of something like No Country for Old Men. Uh, I think with Immortal Remains, you've got Fargo, which kind of navigates both comedy and uh, existential dread. Or Serious Man, yeah. Um, The Gal Who Got Rattled uh, is another one that kind of really feels very much 
both it's the one that feels most outside of their normal wheelhouse and still at the same time is kind of the same stuff that they always are are operating in is the ways in which uh things things always come back to get people uh whether it's uh well-intentioned or not uh so again i think all of these shorts are very much in line with what you expect from them um and and that might impact how much you like it honestly and i I think for me that's a big part of why it's just yeah it's okay uh because it's it's nothing I haven't seen from the Coens before. Um, I like it a lot. I like them playing with westerns. Uh, you know, that's a, a genre that they've obviously dabbled in quite a bit, uh, both literally with something like, uh, you know, their, their remake of True Grit, or, you know, a little less literally, like Fargo, which I think operates very much like a western. Uh, so again, it's a genre that they, they seem to gravitate to, uh, and it's interesting to, to see them kind of take it apart and make so many different kinds of westerns. I think yeah. that's the most exciting thing. Um, and, and, and again, they, they're filmmakers who are very concerned with death uh, as a, a big kind of like through point thematically in their filmography. And I think it makes sense for all of these these stories to be centered on death. I think that is the through line of all of these uh, these tales. I, it is no spoiler to say that a lot of people die in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and it is often the protagonists uh, who are doing the dying. Uh, because if we're all the protagonists of our own story, guess what? Everybody's story in the same way. Yeah. So, Dif- Yeah, I like it fine. Dif- between the comedy and tragedy is where you win the story, said Orson Welles, and that is true facts. I Yep, yeah, hard to argue with that. So, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, hey, Arthur, did you like the movie? I do. I, I enjoy it quite a bit, and I think Dalton's hitting on something. I think it depends on where you land with the Coens, because uh, this is definitely kind of a uh, sum- summarization of their filmography. You've got uh, stories that are just hitting the highest of highs, uh, and, and even the stories that don't work so well are still you know fun. Uh, you've got uh, you know moment movies that are um, just enjoyable, and then you have some that really resonate. Um, but they do have that kind of through line. They love irony and they love playing with irony. Uh, and, and that is definitely the kind of central to each of these narratives, uh, that we are presented. Uh, we get some great performances. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, Stephen Root, um, Liam Neeson is kind of this, you know, it's a great turn from Neeson because he's got this very kind of downplayed, quiet, very role, quiet, um, that I, I really appreciate. Um, you know, Brendan Gleeson shows up, uh, Zoe Kazan is a lot of fun. Uh, and so great performances. It's beautifully shot. Each vignette looks great. Uh, production design and costuming is, is outstanding, I think, across the board. Um, and so, yeah, I think depending on how far you go with the Coens, if you're into their brand of, of comedy, if you're into their brand of style, uh, filmmaking, I, I think it works uh, really depending on where you come at it from. And so for me, it, it's it's really good. I, I, I like most of the stories. I, I don't think they're all firing on all cylinders. And so... It's overall pretty enjoyable film uh, for me. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like it. I do like it. You got what you signed up for. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, you know, I, was, I do. I love the Coens quite a bit. Uh, and so when I, I heard they were doing a Netflix movie uh, and a Western, uh, I was really intrigued. And when I found out it was an anthology, I was a little more intrigued, you know, because that's the one thing I don't think we have seen from the Coens yet is an anthology film. Um, but it still does a great job of capturing what they're about. And so... Uh, yeah, I'm 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 pro. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, I tend to agree. I like the movie a lot. I think what it is, and I and I think I'm gonna actually put it ahead of some movies. 
um, that, that have been part of the conversation lately because we were living in this moment of this phenomenon of the very, very postmodern Western. Not so much this sort of re-Western. I'm not uh, equating films like Hell or High Water or even The Old Man and the Gun, uh, a movie that Arthur likes a whole lot um, and that I like quite a bit as well, um, which are, again, sort of retelling the Western or even what the Coens did with No Country for Old Men, which is very much a Western even though it's set in the early 1980s. Um, that this movie is that postmodern, I am doing a Western, capital W, like the Western, as the film genre and the sort of super metatextual cineast uh, um, experience of the film. And it does so better than what Quentin Tarantino has been trying to do the last couple movies that he's made. <laughs> um, Django Unchained's very good. Uh, Hateful Eight is very bad. Um, but both of them are, are attempts at doing that kind of re-entry into that film. Thing and really try to recapture some of that great sort of Western genre um, love uh, and, and just sort of uh, the scope of what you experience in that Western genre, but also very, very metatextually playing with it in a postmodern sense. And the Coens nail that. I think that it's, it's the best example so far. And uh, so I very much like that about it. But it's... It's fine. I, I think, honestly, it, the mistake is that it is the anthology. I think, really, picking a lane really would have done better. And any one of those lanes, and really, I mean, all the movies are quite good. Um, I, I like the Franco movie the least, maybe. But, um, and maybe it's because it's Franco. Um, I have to, you know, give myself that maybe I'm just, I have a standard antipathy uh, towards him uh, there. But that being said, I think any of them would have been great possibilities. But with what I've got, I've got something that's very good and says there is potentiality, there is possibility for this postmodern Western thing that we're experiencing a bit of a revitalization of uh, right now in cinema to happen. But that being said, it, it, it really is just fun. It's, it's fun and it's okay, but it's nothing that really blew my hair back. And uh, I think that's kind of where we all sit uh, regarding this particular film. So those are our thoughts on that. Also, I just have this to say, Native Americans, mm -hmm. you didn't do it right, guys. Yep. You missed it. There was a chance, and you failed. And so, that's a bummer. And that's really the big letdown for me more than anything else um, there. Um, you just played with the trope and then didn't... It's about the only trope in this film that goes unexamined. Exactly. And if you're doing the postmodern thing, why not do just that? The big one. Yeah, the big E on the I chart there. You've missed it, fellas. So there you go. Those are our thoughts initially uh, regarding uh, the legend not the legend, the ballad of Buster Scruggs. I cannot get it out of my face. Um, the ballad of Bagger Vance. The ballad of Buster Vance. Um, the Buster of the Ballad Golf Vance. Um, hey, Dalton, tell us about social media yeah, so I can I'll, shut up. I'll, yeah, I'll get you out of this, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll save you. Save me. Hi, it's social media time. Uh, if you have some thoughts, maybe you want to rank the uh, entries in the ballad of Buster Scruggs. What are your favorite stories from this anthology film? Uh, you can let us know over on Twitter at good underscore trash. You can see what we're up to. I've uh, been having a lot of uh, 2018 year in review fun over there lately, and getting people excited for um, our uh, year in review episode that's getting ready to drop uh, probably after this one, uh, or maybe before. It's kind of up in the air right now. It really doesn't matter. Time's so, a construct. Who cares? Exactly. But again, that's at good underscore trash on Twitter. Been having a lot of fun over there. Uh, go check out uh, our giveaway that we've got going on. Um, we've got quite a few entries so far. Pretty exciting. Uh, win yourself a copy of Ujimbo and some other cool stuff. So, again, that's at good underscore trash if you want more info on our uh, 
our Twitter giveaway and uh, just you know following us on what we're up to production-wise. Uh, if you don't want to get involved in that wild, wild world that is social media, you can just send an, us an email, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, the best way to send us your long-form feedback. Uh, you can also, well, you can and we would very much like if you uh, rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, however you put this in your ears. You've listened to podcasts before. You know this is the part where we ask you to keep listening to ours. Uh, finally, last but certainly not least, if you would like to give us some money, that's going to be patreon.com forward slash GTM. As I just mentioned a second ago, we're getting ready uh, to release our 2018 year in review. Uh, not the Shelby's. We already did that. We already reviewed uh, the the year that was good trash uh, for 2018. Now we're just going to talk about the movies we went and saw in the theater or on streaming devices if it's about a Buster Scruggs. Spoiler alert, uh, Buster did not crack anybody's top 10 list or nope. top 20 as far as I know. Nope. Yeah. So yeah, It might be my top 20. It'd be in my top 20. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, only, I only made 15 um, sort of formally. But gotcha. I think he only it, watched 15 movies last year, so it's in his top 20. That I, is not well, You got to like 40, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah so that's, I, I saw some movies. Proud of you. Uh, but again, uh, we're gearing up for that. Uh, it's going to be our, our one through five, a quick rundown of some superlatives, and our six through tens very briefly. If you want a really long version of that, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. We're going to record some uh, extra juicy stuff that's going to not make it to air. Uh, so again, that's, uh, that's where you can find all the info on giving us money and getting something in return. There you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I believe now it's time to play the game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind This game is, um, usually in this case, we will rank our uh, marathon. However, we are not doing that because we have five, five or six? Five? Five, six. What? Six. There's six vignettes. Six yeah. vignettes. I don't know. I, I have a rank, but I don't know what they actually are uh, in terms of numbers. Uh, counting is just for ponces. You've been having a hard time with counting today. I don't like I don't like numbers very much. So, yeah, normally we would uh, rank the marathon, but we've got more marathon to go yet. We've yeah, still got to talk about good trash westerns. Exactly. And so, so yeah. we're going to just rank the um, individual episodes of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So, very quickly, let's hear your six through one. Dalton, go. Uh, first up, near Algodones. Uh, Algodones? Anyway, yeah, the, the Franco right. one. Didn't care for it. I knew it was going the entire time. It was kind of unsurprising. Uh, it just, if honestly, if they could have lost any of them, it's it's that one. I mean, the, I think the film would be fine without that entry. Uh, next up is Meal Ticket, one I like quite a bit, but I, I just don't like it as much as I like the others. Uh, there is a bit of performance in Meal Ticket that is just astonishing. Uh, the actor... Uh, who who plays the impresario that uh, Liam Neeson tours around, gives these incredible monologues. And the the ways in which he very subtly changes the performance, because you see several performances of the same scenes, and he gets very, just very subtly kind of like modulates his performance in a way that's really, really cool. Uh, the ending of that one is bleak and a bummer. And I, I do kind of, I like that ending because it is so damn sad. Uh, next up is the slapstick silliness that is the titular Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Just a really fun way to start the uh, the entire film. Uh, I could have just watched that and been happy, honestly. Uh, but uh, sits right in the middle of the pack for me. Next up is The Gal Who Got Rattled, uh, the Zoe Kazan entry. I just really, it's such a sweet and tender vignette in a otherwise very bleak series of stories until it's also a bleak story. Um, but it works for me. Uh, th there's just something kind of elliptical about the way that ending plays out. That's I think really nice. And, uh, yeah, just a really interesting entry in, in this, the segment. It falls, uh, 
towards the middle uh, because of the the failures to depict Native Americans. Well, that Dustin's already mentioned. It's just yeah. Uh, Al Gadones does it as well, uh, but uh, it feels even more pointless. At least in the girl that got the gal that got rattled, it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, next up is the mortal remains. The uh, the entry that ends our uh, our film. I really like the mortal remains a lot. It's it's uh, everything that uh, the previously mentioned hateful eight wants to do in a much much shorter time frame. That's uh, a lot less upsetting. Uh, and finally, all gold canyon. Man, that that Tom Waits entry is just fantastic, and I have a feeling it's uh, going to be uh, much beloved as we go around the table here. So those me, are my rankings. I love me some Tom Waits all the time. Very good, very good. What is your ranking, Mr. Arthur Gordon? I am also going to start with Nier Algodones. Uh, I actually enjoy it quite a bit, but as Dalt mentioned, it feels the most inconsequential. Uh, but there is something about Stephen Root uh, lacing himself up with uh, pans and then uh, charging full bore with a rifle. It's very good. Pan shot. Um, I, I, I think there's just a lot <laughs> that of is this. thing, yeah. I think there's just a lot of great humor in that. But overall, in the, 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 the grand scheme of things, it feels pretty inconsequential to everything else going on. Uh, number five. Uh, the mortal remains. I I enjoy it quite a bit, um, but I just I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I, I like some of the banter. I, I I like the the main guy. I can't think of his name. Um, the the main uh, I guess the main bounty hunter yeah. paired with Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's uh, he's got some good lines. He's got a great kind of weaselly uh, demeanor, and then his pairing of with Brendan Gleeson is a lot of fun. And then the uh, the old prospector uh, who's with him uh, is the tedious man is quite a treat. Uh, but overall, it just it, it misses the mark for me. Uh, the gal who got rattled is next, and that was one I was really high on the the first time I watched it, but this time it's kind of dropped for me. I because you did it, get to watch the film twice, yeah. right? Uh, and I think it's it's probably the most interesting. I think it's the one the Coens are most interested in. It obviously gets the longest runtime at about mm-hmm. forty or forty five minutes. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think once you've seen it, it feels a little bit repetitive while they're on the trail. Uh, but the you know performance of Zoe Kassan and everybody else there is a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. It just it feels a bit much. I think at that point in the movie. Uh, if maybe they led with it a little earlier or something. Uh, Mill Ticket is actually one that kind of surprised me. It was probably my least favorite after the initial watch, uh, but after seeing it this time, Mill Ticket really bumped up. Okay. Uh, I, I really like the dynamic between uh, the, the lead actor and Liam Neeson. Um, and, and Liam Neeson is a great turn, like I, I already mentioned. Um, and it's uh, just very, very tragic and very, very heart-wrenching. Um, and it's a very fascinating piece, I think. Second for me is the ballad of Buster Scruggs. I, it's, it's very funny. It's, it's so fun. fun. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson is is just a blast. I, I love him so much. I, I I would love to see him do so much more. Um, Oklahoma's own Tim Blake Nelson. That he is. Uh, he's he's got a great voice. He's doing some great stuff here, singing um, some fun songs and and the very meta narrative element of it as he's breaking the fourth wall and addressing the camera is a lot of fun. Uh, and to me, it's the most intriguing. And then uh, first, it's it's all Gold Canyon. Uh, Tom Waits is great. Super it's good. gorgeous. It's beautiful, and it's life affirming. It feels like, and uh, it it it's uh, a a bright uh, shimmer of gold in an otherwise uh, pretty bleak uh, narrative that we've been presented uh, throughout the rest of the film. Arthur, I I had to look it up because it was bothering me that we neither of us knew. The actor uh, that plays the the actor in the, um, oh my gosh, meal ticket. Meal ticket. You know who that is? Who? That's the kid that played friggin' uh, Dudley 
in uh, the Harry Potter movies. Oh wow! Yeah, Harry Melling. Huh? huh. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, it's the evil cousin. Huh. That's awesome. Isn't that wild? I love that. Right? What a thing. Good for him. All right, Dustin, let us know. What, what's those picks? Okay, so the, the last one's near Algodonus again. I, I yeah. think we're all universal on it. And it may be antipathy towards Franco still. And yet it, it's also, I mean, there's a Jack London story that's being told, and The Girl Who Got Rattled is also an existing short story as well, and the rest of them are originals from the, from the Francos. But this is, what is that stupid, uh, something... The guy who gets hung and it's like his like a oh an occurrence Al- at Owl Creek, Creek Bridge. Yeah, it's like Owl Creek Bridge, whatever. It, it's got that sort of vibe going on with it, but it's not smart enough. Yeah. And on top of that, Franco. So yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, next for me is Mortal Remains because I just don't care. I, really? I, at that point, I was bored with the idea, and it's Interesting. just like let's just meditate on death. Isn't death sad? Yeah, death sad. So what? Move on. Um, Fair enough. I mean, I just. I just wasn't it going. might have worked better earlier in the movie. Correct. Yeah, and and so for me, it was not as good. Uh, number next for me is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I liked it a lot. I liked that singing cowboy Gene Autry, Roy Rogers thing as a death of, dealer. As a death dealer, and I like the sort of turn on it. It's fun, uh, and really, I mean, all these are great at this point. I mean, once we get past Mortal Remains, I like them all. I want to be very, very clear about that. So that's the number next one uh, for me. Um, after that, golly, it's hard for me to choose. But what I would probably say is I, I would go with um, All Gold Canyon. I really like Tom Waits' performance. I like the sort of environmental message that's at work there and the sort of um, you know ignoring the pristine nature around him and only exploiting it. I like the twist that's going on with that as well. But uh, And I like Tom Waits. And so I'm, He's very good. I'm a big fan of all that's going on with it, but eh, it's fine. Uh, and that's all I would say about that uh, with All Gold Canyon. Uh, number next then is The Girl Who Got Rattled. Um, I, I really like this. It. It's, it's the second best one to me. It's good. It, it, it's just a great twist. Um, you sort of see it coming. Um, it, the, the big flaw is the Native American depiction there. It's just really, really troubling to me. And then my favorite one was The Mill Ticket. I think Mill Ticket is incredible. And I uh, just love that performance uh, from Dudley, apparently, which is just shocking to me that you say that that's who it was. Neeson is great. And I do like how dark and bleak it is and uh, that sort of exploitation at work. And it's, again, the sort of um, the the vile logic of just making a buck, um, what that does and how it sets one against another. I think it, it, it's brilliant. And I really, really enjoy that a lot. So those are my selections uh, for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I'm kind of delighted we uh, we were all over the place. Yeah, I am too. With the uh, exception of Nero Godones. Yeah, we don't like it. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm surprised you guys didn't care for The Mortal Remains. Uh, I re- that one really just kind of sucked. Okay. It sucked me in. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get... This is as good a place as any. Let's get into uh, what we came here to do. Uh, yeah, I guess it's time to get down to business. It's business. Here we are. We're doing some analysis for you all, dear listener. And uh, so I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the anthology film. Let's do the big meta thing. So this is an anthology film. Um, My criticism personally was I would like to see a couple of these, not all, but a couple of these expanded. I think that would be a better choice for the Coen. So what do we think about their option to go at it in this fashion? Well, it was initially announced it was going to be a television series, and then there was uh, the twist that it was going to be an anthology film. So I I think that idea was there to flesh this out uh, a bit more. Uh, and I think there's that element of it. And I, I think it works either way. I think it could work as an anthology television series. I think it works as a I would film. like that better, I think. Yeah. An hour, hour 15 treatment on each would be okay. Um, but 
uh, as far as anthology films go, you know, they're I think they're hard to pull off because you you have to have something to hook throughout each each little thread of of the thing. That's and that's a lot to ask for each story. Yeah. Uh, we've only ever done it one other time, and that was in our first year when we did Creep Show. Oh, yeah, Creep Show, yeah. Um, but you know, it's not it's not a new idea. It's been around for quite a while. Um, you know, going back, I think sixties and seventies, Tales from the Crypt is probably one of the earlier ones in the seventies. Uh, but even before that, it's Bava's Black Sabbath. Yeah, I was going to say uh, it's 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 a concept that's been around quite a bit, and obviously, um, kind of pulling from a short story collection idea and, and being able to explore multiple themes. And, and I think um, or, or the same thing for multiple lenses, I should say. Um, and I think that's really what's going on here is uh, we've already mentioned that fascination of death. And I, I really think that's kind of the, I think it is kind of pivotal to the, uh, the Cohen's full filmography. And I think that's kind of what I was getting at with my review is this, this feels kind of like a culmination of what they've been doing for the last 30 years, roughly. I think they started working in the mid eighties. Um, and so, you know, they've been at it for quite a while and this is kind of a, uh, chance to look back. And I think we see some of that slip through. We see a lot of their affinities, th- uh, coming through, um, and, and they're able to kind of break it down. And at the same time, I don't know as each vignette, you know, pulls along it, it, you know, life sucks. And then you die is really the kind of overarching theme we get from a lot of these stories, except for all gold Canyon, um, and, and how we approach death, you know, Buster's a little more receptive of it i think uh you know he he realizes uh the life of a, a traveling gunslinger is uh <laughs> you either uh know how to count or you don't and uh, uh that's uh how we all approach death i think is the more interesting way to to look at this but i don't know how well it's fully you know fleshed out for me here i think the anthology structure works for arthur in that it allows it to be about that because you couldn't i don't know i'm torn because as you guys were talking i was like yeah you know what an hour 15 of all of these would be really good uh, but I don't know. the fact that each story ends fairly bleakly uh, with either implied death or certain death, I, I think maybe that that anthology structure does work because I think it would be frustrating uh, to spend a full hour in every single story. You, so it's Black Mirror. Exactly. I, I think it becomes a little bit too much like that. I think these little short snippets uh, maybe make it go down a little bit easier. But you're right. At the end of the day, it's just, yep, life, that's it. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm torn by it. I think the the framing structure of having them all be in a storybook is really cool uh, because it allows it to kind of exist in this. I think this is something we've talked a lot about throughout this marathon is the West is a place that never really was. Uh, and I, I think doing it as a, a series of stories out of a you know an, an old timey collection of Western stories, I think is I think is fun because it allows them to say. This isn't a real place. The the West that we talk about never existed, um, but the death that happened there certainly did. Uh, so I, I think at least that conceit uh, works fairly well uh, by kind of intentionally de-romanticizing it by uh, giving themselves an excuse to over-romanticize it, I guess. Um, I think it works a little bit better for me. I, I, I think it is interesting because they, they are doing a couple things different. You just pointed out, and I, I thought about it earlier. Um, there isn't really, I mean, we've got this framing structure that, someone's reading a book but we don't have that kind of grand you know yep. uh, bookend where there's a setup to tell these stories you know typically we have oh here's your you know comics to read or, or here's these vh tape, uh, vhs tapes that we found or yeah there's some sort of narrative that kind of ties it all together and that's kind of missing here we just have this 
book, essentially. I wonder if the moral remains would work better if it existed as a framing narrative. And each person on the thing is telling a story or something like that. Which we get a little bit of. I mean, that's I mean kind it kind of, of feels like that with the characters that are there. Yeah, because they, they do each tell stories. Exactly. They all have a monologue uh, about a story uh, that's kind of pertinent to the travel they're on. I think the other interesting thing here with, with this film in particular as an anthology film is I, I don't know a lot of anthology films that exist outside of the horror genre. You know, it's true. very prime to, you know, cause you can tell three or four, you know, horror t- tales pretty quick turnaround. Um, and, and this to kind of deal with it from a Western standpoint, a little more grounded standpoint. Um, but maybe contemplating some of the ideas of, of the horror genre, especially that last one, which feels the most supernatural. It obviously. does feel very gothic, yeah. Yeah, and kind of Twilight zone I think, uh, in comparison to the others. Um, I just I just think that's interesting as well. I, I, I don't know that there's much there to say, but just it's it's interesting to see the anthology outside of that genre. Well, I think that's why the Western works, right? Because it's a genre where death is expected kind of the same way uh, you get from horror movies. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, but you're right, Arthur, uh, that uh, it is uncommon to see anthology films that aren't horror movies. So I think in that regard, it's fun for sure. I, I think another thing interesting is that framing device of just the book and reading it. And uh, recently heard a, um, a presentation talking about the use of the book and the book and cover uh, in film and how that began early on in cinema history as a way to sort of lend legitimacy to the cinema, that this is an art form equal to the novel, mm. which is sort of like the primary art form. And you find that all over the place where you see the cover of the book and you know and a hand turning over pages right and you know Monty Python makes a joke of you know they have the story of the book in the middle of it and they've got the uh, a pretty hand of a young lady and then his overtaken the gorilla, hand. gorilla hand yeah. which is hilarious it's great um or um, the appearance of like Mary Shelley in uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, uh, for instance, sort of telling her story a little bit, and this is what's going on. Whatever happened else to Frankenstein? Well, let me tell you. And then off we go into telling that story. What is – the question is, is there a pretension there? Is there some sort of claim that's being made by the Coens you know, because they do make sort of what's prestige kind of movies by doing this. I mean, I, obviously the stories themselves are written by themselves for the most part, with the exception of the girl who got the gal who got rattled, and then the Jack London's uh, story about the gold miner. Um, is, is there is there some sort of claim that's going on there? Some artifice? I don't know about that. I, I don't either. I think I can read it more as it. It feels like giving the uh, coming from an audience, you know, spectator standpoint. It feels like. It's an opportunity to give the audience a clean slate walking into these stories. Typically, you can use that framing narrative to set your tone, you set your expectations, you set uh, everything up that you need to, your irony or whatever you want to explore within the thing. This really comes at it as here are six presentations with no kind of background into what they are or what's going on or why this with, book exists. With the exception of a uh, a painting. Yeah. Right. An illustration from the story. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a color plate, yeah. But, yeah, a color plate. That's right. But again, I mean, I, I feel I don't want to read too much into this meta thing, but I, I feel like it's an exploration of their their kind of filmography. I mean, they've done adapted works, they've done original screenplays, they've done all of this stuff, and I don't I don't feel that it's any more or less pretentious than any of their other projects that they've done. It, mm-hmm. it may be somewhat personable, and I think it's just them kind of playing around with a new format and ideas, and I don't know all the production history of, you know, how this became, went from TV show to movie, um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't read any sort of pretension there, of, you know, between the relationship of books and literature and film at all. I'm inclined to agree with you, Arthur. Yeah, I, I, again, for me, it, it just helps establish that 
the the unrealness of the worlds that we're going to be visiting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it operates on a lot of levels, but I don't think pretentious is one of them. I, I don't really think so either. But so I, it was something worth talking. I, I know about, it yeah. lends us towards that because that is sort of how that begins. You know, you've got David Copperfield on the cover. You know, before you see the the court of David Copperfield or Selznick's or whomever's. It's really interesting too because it feels like if, if you pay attention, you can kind of read. The the beginning and the ending of each story it gives you a little more into. Oh, I definitely what's was trying on. to. Yeah. yeah, I was too. Yeah, which and, it was fun. Yeah, but yeah. So okay, well, that's just something I was thinking about a little bit. Let's talk about Buster for just a second. Um, okay, because it is the goofiest one, and I I, mean, I like it a lot. It's very fun. Oh, it's okay. It is a cartoon brought to life. Well, yeah, he it, dust clouds himself after walking into a saloon. It's incredible. Yeah. Um. And here's the thing. Um. It's an interesting choice. When we start talking about the Western genre and our expectations of the Western genre, because what we expect is John Wayne from The Searchers or something from the Clint Eastwood oeuvre. And what they, you know, what, what sort of happens here is like, there's like a film historical memory that um, anticipates that we've forgotten Roy Rogers and we've yeah. forgotten Gene Autry. And I, I just think it's a great choice to open up with that. Well, we, we, we uh, talked about that. Uh, we've, Peek behind the curtain and listener. We've already recorded our 2018 year in review. We talked a little bit about Alden Einreich. Uh, I mean, they use Alden Einreich to play that that singing cowboy character in um, Hail Caesar. So it's interesting that they seem to be like, hey, everybody, remember when westerns were like this? Uh, so it's interesting that they've twice now uh, chosen to invoke uh, that type of western that, yeah, I, I think you're right, Dustin. I think it's very easy for us as a film-going public to kind of forget about that era of, film, mm-hmm. of Westerns. And they do a great job of subverting those expectations when he walks into that saloon and Dalton referenced the quote at the beginning. Uh, but he does wear the all-white and he wears the guitar. Uh, but then he has that, that line, you know, oh, don't let the white duds fool you. Uh, because, you know, there's that you know, predisposition that we've got the white hats and the black hats, the mm-hmm. good guys and the bad guys. Uh, and, and I think they're kind of tearing that down from the beginning to say this isn't you know, it's not what you're going to expect it to be. And I think it's an interesting choice. And I think it's a fun choice to include. Like Dalton mentioned, it's, it's not something you see much anymore is that singing cowboy, uh, which was a vital part of, of the Western genre. And I think an argument could be made. I don't know that I want to make it, but I think an argument could be made that the vignettes themselves form a kind of cinema history of the Western. From oh, that's interesting. Gene yeah. Autry to The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Um, something... Uh, uh, again, uh, I like that. Yeah. The, the revisionist Western there towards the middle as they do become more cynical and more cynical and more cynical with the gal who got rattled last and this sort of desperate, unforgiven kind of ending there. I, I don't know, again, that I want to really parse it out the details because I think you might be stretching a little bit here and there. But um, I think there's Mir- something to be said for Mir- it, Mir- though. Mir- does feel very much like a, a real Bravo, does feel very much like, you know, sort of something yeah. in that vein. The Hawks or the, uh, yeah. the Ford. Esque thing, kind of western. And then so. what's next? Mill tickets next, which is where it gets dark. It's yeah. just like the least western western. Mm-hmm. It's the one that's definitely set within the world of the west, yeah. but is not about the people that normally. It's about the people on the fringes of a western well, story. The, you would see that character in a uh, western. There's uh, one in Butch and Sundance because yeah. uh, he's got the 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 mayor of the town's got everybody rounded up, and then this guy jumps out of the audience and starts selling bicycles. Yeah, right. it's it's that character exactly. It's what if that character had their whole own yeah. story in a western? And although Butch and Sundance feels much more like a '70s western than a '60s western, this movie feels like a '60s western insofar as the '60s was a weird time for them. That's when you've got Paul Newman doing these sort of Rashomon remakes, and you know, and it, it, it's 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 weirdly. 
you know, existential and it's weirdly sort of reflective in a way, you know, where Kurosawa's Magnificent Seven is making its way into a Western mm-hmm. film. And so it is sort of um, a mishmash uh, of sort of a lack of self-understanding almost, generically speaking. And then we move more into that, again, Unforgiven Dances with Wolves territory. But, but anyway, I don't know. Um, but that was just something I thought about when I watched it. Is, is this like a historical trip through the Western as a genre? It, are we operating in the West uh, and telling stories of death, specifically in the West in this film, because it is a, a setting in which death is around every corner? Or do you think there's something else at play here? Because that's, for me, what I ended up landing on. But I'm curious what you guys think. Because they could have set this anthology film about death anywhere. Uh, do you think the anthologies being about death comes first? Or do you think the anthologies being Westerns comes first? I think... I think- the Western is what they said they were going to do, but gotcha. because they're doing a thing, it's about death because it's them. Gotcha. Um, you know, and it's uh, Buster Scruggs opens with it. You know, you can win a thousand fights, but you can only lose one. Yeah. And uh, that's the the story of the one he loses. Well, and I, I like that Buster Scruggs is the only um, gunfighty story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything else is pretty uh, living, trying to live a life in the West, and gunfights happen to people, but it's not a big part of their life. It's probably. One, the only time it ever happens in these other stories. Well, I was gonna say that and Near Agadonis are really the only you know quote unquote westerns like yeah. like you mentioned Mill Tickets the kind of and I think even the 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 gal who got rattled and and those are it's it's the other characters in the it, westerns yeah. right it's those people who are in the background most of the time yeah, that the, we don't see the gal who got rattled obviously Meeks cut off as a western that exists I mean so we've had wagon train movies uh, mm-hmm. centered on women before we've and had wagon train the television series yeah and we've had movies about prospectors or prospecting before with All Gold Canyon, but I think you're right, Arthur. Those two are kind of like Western adjacent. It's Nier Agadonis and, and Buster Scruggs that are capital W Westerns. Uh, Moral Remains and Meal Ticket are just people who happen to be in the 1890s. And then those other two, yeah, they're prospecting movies and wagon train movies, but they're kind of... So it's of the six, we've got two that are definitely Westerns, two that are kind of Westerns, and two that are happen to be in that time period and it feels like kind of a slow navigation of this is what you thought the west was yeah into this is what the west was it wasn't this kind of romanticized thing it was a very arduous journey day by day where you could be shot in the back trying to stake your claim or you know you lose your brother without a moment's notice on the on the trail to a new life yeah or end up uh Punching out early, thinking you're sparing yourself a worse fate. Yeah, when yeah. Uh, salvation's right around the corner, and then they then they bring it back full circle with the the mortal remains. And I like mortal remains more than you two do because I like how it operates as the the period at the end of the stories. Uh, it, it functions as th- these have all been stories about uh, who deserves to die and who doesn't. Right? I mean, Buster deserves to die. Franco deserves to die. All these characters. And then we get to meal ticket, where somebody who definitely does, doesn't deserve to die is murdered, and mm-hmm. a bad person gets away with that. Uh, Old Gold Canyon, you know, it's a little bit more morally ambiguous. Ditto for Gal Who Got Rattled. The first thing I said when uh, uh, the Native people showed up at the end of the Gal Who Got Rattled was, well, you should have invaded their country. Right. Uh, because, honestly, it's just really cool when they come out of nowhere and start kicking ass. Uh, ditto for what happens uh, in Nero Gadonis when uh, they show up and accidentally save Franco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it so there's been this series of films or short films about death and 
the fact that it's never about who deserves to die ever. It's just about who did and who didn't. Uh, so getting to the moral remains, which is very clearly this kind of afterlife river sticks allegory. I mean, I think that's that's pretty yeah. much right there on the surface. Having it be three people who think they're good, who are very clearly terrible uh, on their way to certain death, I think is an interesting way to end these stories by saying, oh, did you think this was about who deser- deserving anything? No, it's not about deserving. Uh, and the, the Englishman who uh, is the, uh, the the talkative of the two bounty hunters says as much, right? He says, I, I like to watch people try to figure it out after Brendan Gleeson conks him on the head, and they never do. Because you can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about deserving. It's just about what is going to happen. So I like The Moral Remains for that reason. I get why you guys don't, but for me, in terms of the bleak stories, I think it works a lot better than Meal Ticket in that regard. Uh, although I, I, I'm, I'm very easily sucked in by fun dialogue. Meal Ticket's a tone poem, right? It's it's monologues yeah. and, and pretty images. I, I like people telling each other stories on film. I'm well, always fascinated by that. I think when that, um, you know, again, the impresario opens up about this limbless statue, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's just incredible as a choice it's, for yeah. a man with no arms and no legs. And so, yeah. He's and, so good. Man, he is killing it. But it is interesting, I guess, the two bleakest stories are both tales about people who are telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's something interesting to that, that... Uh, the Cohen brothers, who are storytellers, situate their bleakest stories on, you know, a, an actor telling stories and people telling stories to each other to pass the time. I think that's kind of interesting that they they see storytelling as this. It's not noble and fun. It is bleak because storytellers are the only ones that uh, have figured it out. And that's that everybody's going to die no matter. It's just a matter of when the story ends, as yeah. you alluded to earlier. So for me, that's for my money. That's what I think makes more remains work really well is how it situates death. I think it kind of ties them all together. I, um, Again, I know you guys don't like it much, but I think I would like the film a lot less without the mortal remains to bring it all home. So yeah, okay. that's that's where I come down on it. I just uh, felt worth saying since we were kind of talking about how death functions in this movie. Absolutely. Um, any other sort of pressing concerns with um, Buster Scruggs? I think one of the interesting things is we've kind of touched on the meta meta narrative of of uh, Buster Scruggs but I think even a mill ticket I think it's just interesting that uh there's a story being told about uh dwindling crowds at a performance uh in this movie that's gone straight to Netflix yeah. um which Fair is just point. uh I you know I think there's also some stuff there about the commodification of art as you know Neeson is quick to uh do what it takes to make a buck um because the chicken's cheaper to take care of well, that and a lot people less work. would rather watch a chicken pick numbers than someone do Shakespeare. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. A chicken doing math is pretty cool. It is. Yeah. How long? I mean, yeah, we got Jersey Shore, and then we, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean. Elitists. <laughs> All right. I, 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 compared to Jersey Shore, I will be an elitist. All right, fine. Yeah. I don't, you're right. Damn it. I don't like letting him be right. Well, it's the, I mean, it is the uh, it's the prestige thing versus the the popcorn thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, that's that's exactly what meal ticket is, yeah. right? It's it's the Cohen brothers afraid that they're going to be murdered by their producers for not uh, <laughs> getting enough asses and seats, just and unceremoniously thrown in the river, yeah, yeah. And when all else fails, you just sell out and go to the people. Yeah, you go to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. I mean, there's. Is there any way? Is there any world where a studio finances the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? With the Coens attached, maybe. maybe. Big maybe though, still right? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I mean, it's got a lot working against it. I mean, it's Western, Western and, and anthology. anthology. Yeah. yeah, neither one of those are 
if you go into a meeting and one of the the first descriptors for your movie is Western or anthology, and you don't already have like six huge movie stars attached, go home. You're out. And, well, yeah, and our opening sequence is going to be a singing cowboy Gene Autry bit With, by Tim Blake Nelson. Who exactly? Yeah, and you're going to get yeah. who? <sighs> Tim Blake Nelson, the guy, our guy. Yeah, I. So I was. You know, it's it's interesting to see filmmakers like the Coens and uh, Alfonso Cuaron both working with Netflix in 2018. Uh, you know, it's one thing when uh, David Ayer was doing it. It's another thing when Cuaron and the Coens are doing and it. And this is the other thing I was thinking about, because we had a pretty lengthy discussion on, I don't think it was Bright, I think it was when we did Mute, and we talked about Duncan Jones and, and mm-hmm. the, the need for the producer and the executive producer to step in to, to wrangle their director and and you have to just wonder if if it's just the quality of the director making the movies rather than any sort of interference from a studio because yeah. I, I think we've seen I think we've seen good to great efforts from the Coens from uh, oh goodness I can't think of his name he did um, Okja uh, oh Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho yeah um, you know uh, Carrie Fukunaga with the Beast of the Southern Wild. Uh, we've got Beast of No Nation. Beast of No Nation. Beast of the Wild, different movie. Uh, it's still a good movie, but totally different movie from uh, Beast of No Nation. But you're absolutely right. We've had good to great efforts from... Good to great directors. Exactly. And I think you're right that some directors, some filmmakers are going to uh, flourish under that hands-off approach that Netflix has, and I think some are going to flounder. I'm, it's the same as working for studios. Yeah. It's it's just the, the exact opposite metric. And, and I'm, I'm it's always kind of curious, I think, to see where that blame falls if something doesn't work quite well. I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, The Irishman, which debuts this year on Netflix for Martin Scorsese. It's going to be fascinating, uh, if nothing else. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just so curious as to you know where that goes. Um, uh, oh, I should just shout out D. Reese for putting out a great movie last year on Netflix. Oh, God. Mudbound, yeah. Um, but, Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm still just... It's, it's not the early stages, but it is still relatively the early stages of this whole... Netflix thing and working with these kind of A-list directors and so I'm still curious to see where it goes and and what that means for the for for releases. It it has been interesting to uh, be doing a podcast kind of at the start of this. I mean, when we started the show, Netflix didn't make its own stuff ever. It was like such a big deal when they did that mm-hmm. we were actively going to try to basically watch every Netflix original film for this show and that would is impossible now. I mean, you couldn't do it. Yeah, Beast of No Nation. I mean, yeah, we were like, oh, we got to see Netflix is dropping a movie. Okay, yeah, we're in. A huge deal. Yeah. So it's it's been interesting to watch this unfold. And as you said, Arthur, it's it's definitely not at the start, but it's far from the end uh, as well. So it's uh, as always, we will keep you abreast of uh, our dumb thoughts on this this Netflix phenomenon. Uh, I think that's it. I don't know that any of the other... Uh... We could talk about the gender stuff with the gal who got rattled, but, I mean, it's nothing we haven't said on the show a hundred times yeah. before. Yeah, and they're doing that thing. Yeah, I mean, I think they know what they're doing, but... It's representation, it... not, you know, advocating, but... Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, but I think that's the only... And obviously we could dive way into the history of the treatment of Native peoples in Western films, but we've got other movies that I think that's going to be better to talk about with. I think so, too. So, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Let's run to a verdict, then. Shell for trash, Elser instead. What do you say, Arthur? Shell for trash, Elser instead for Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, trash. I, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know what you're going to get yourself into if you like the Coens. Uh, so go based off your gut. I think, um, you know what? Dustin did this last week. I'd say else with this movie. I, you know, you can go ahead and watch it. It is on Netflix, whatever. Um, 
I say I would watch Slow West, um, A24 production with mm. uh, Michael Fassbender, which is just mm. phenomenal. Um, and Cody Smith-McPhee, I think, is the I the think you're thing. right. My uh, favorite Western of the last couple of years. Probably. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's very, very good. I think it cracked my top ten that year. Uh, definitely check that one out. I, I've got to say Lonesome Dove. I, I think uh, it's just uh, a lot of uh, fun. It's kind of sweeping narrative that kind of covers a lot of ground over a lot of time, and it does it well with a just a stellar cast. Uh, and then finally, I'd, I'd go with the Coen's uh, True Grit remake. It's it's uh, it's very good, uh, very very good. Uh, and Jeff Bridges is a lot of fun in that one. And, and they're uh, they're doing uh, a lot of uh, fun stuff with that one. So um, yeah, very yeah. good, very good. What do you say, Dalton? Uh, Shell for trash, elsewhere instead. Uh, yeah. I think you can skip this as well. I mean, uh, being a Netflix movie does kind of throw off our shelf or trash metric. Right. Why uh, would you buy it when it's always there? But yeah, I would say my, my recommendations are also going to be Elsa's with Arthur. But yeah, I, skip it. It's you're, If you haven't seen Roma yet, watch that first instead. I still haven't seen Roma. I kind of wish I'd watched that last night instead of uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, if I'm being honest. But yeah, it's fine. If you like the Coens, you'll probably dig it. But uh, it's far from a revelatory work from them. I mean, yeah. you're better off going and, you know, catching up with one of their earlier works you might have uh, missed out on. Uh, what what are you going to pair with it, though, I think is an interesting question. First up, uh, another 2018 Western, The Sisters Brothers, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. Uh, I just think it's a better movie, and I think it's asking a lot of the same questions about the stories that we tell about the West, the place of violence in Western stories, and... Um, just what you can expect from a Western. Uh, I think Sisters Brothers is operating on a lot of the same levels as Buster Scruggs, and it does a lot more cleanly and a lot more concisely. Uh, I would also say, you know, we're talking about anthologies. Uh, go check out uh, the Hulu anthology film series near uh, Into the Dark. Uh, they're doing a horror-themed nice. uh, holiday film every month. Uh, they started in October with uh, a Halloween-themed one, and they're going to go all the way through uh, into September of this year. Um, but New Year, New You was the New Year-themed one that they just put out, and I like it a lot. It's uh, my favorite of the ones that they've released so far, uh, and is very much... Uh, all of these films are very much about something uh, in, in ways that I find fun. They're schlocky and a little cheap looking, uh, but they all are about something other than what they're literally about, which I think makes them a ton of fun. So if you're having fun with anthologies, you know, we talked about what would Buster Scruggs look like if each of these entries was, you know, feature length. Uh, that's what we've got from Into the Dark over at uh, Hulu uh, from Bloomhouse. Uh, so it's a lot of fun near you, uh, new you, good Lord, new year, new you, got it, whoo, uh, is going to be the one I say you jump in with because it's, it's the most interesting uh, for my money. But uh, again, I, I think overall, uh, not any one of those films is better than any one of these vignettes in Buster Scruggs, but I think there's something about the way that Buster Scruggs operates as a package that maybe makes this uh, this Hulu anthology a more interesting package. Uh, last but certainly not least, I like Dustin mentioning Holy Grail, so I'm going to say that. Uh, I, I think it, it operates as a comedy anthology very, very, very effectively. And... Um, yeah, I, I like the meta stuff that they're doing in there, and I think they, they nail a little bit better than the Coens do with Buster. 
Totally fair, totally fair. I like that a lot. Thank you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say trash, but if it's streaming and you want to catch it in pieces, I think that'd be fine. And uh, it's definitely a thing that's not going to be the. So I'm not mad about watching it. So yeah, go yeah, not see at it. all. Um, what else? Um, I'm not going to add movies. I mean, we could talk about No Country for Old Men. We could talk about classic westerns, examples of other stuff. But um, go to your local public library and get yourself a Jack London book. Read The Call of the Wild. Um, get yourself a Zane Grey book and read Riders of the Purple Sage. Get yourself a Louis L'Amour book and read The Ferguson Rifle. And, um, I mean, it's it, it's a very similar kind of experience, and I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, so take a look at one of those things uh, instead of a movie, perhaps, uh, because I think it is sort of dealing with Western literature in an interesting kind of way as well. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts regarding this thing. We have finished this antitrust marathon. Guys, I'm done. Great. We're done. Hang on. You agreed to a super marathon. A s- Hold up. Like is it like a super hey. delegate? No, it's like a a real long marathon. Oh, a real long. What? Yeah, you agreed to do a, a month was real long, wasn't it? You agreed to do a month of uh, good trash westerns too, though. Oh, I did, didn't I? You did, yeah. I think <sighs> I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, your exact words when we said we were doing a western multi marathon were, "Tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me." And so that might have been exactly what I said. Next week. Dustin, I I just need to know if you'll be our Huckleberry. Hey, I'm your Huckleberry, yeah. This has been a long time coming. Long time coming. I'm so excited for us to finally talk Tombstone. Panos Cosmatos is, uh, did I get that right on the first try? There's Uh, no way. Yeah, Panos Cosmatos, yeah. Damn, Panos Cosmatos is Papa, uh, directing uh, the Western of our our childhood, uh, I think, for all three of us. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we've almost done Tombstone... Probably multiple a dozen times. times. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Our revels are now ended, dear listener. Uh, we are done doing this particular show. Uh, hopefully, we don't get thrown into a river, but we'll keep watching, and we'll and you you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on everything Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music, as always, is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music this week is When a Cowboy Trades His Furs for Wings, performed by Tim Blake Nelson. Let me tell you, buddy, there's a faster gun Coming over yonder when tomorrow comes Let me tell you, buddy, and it won't be long you find yourself singing your last cowboy song Yippee-ki-yi-yi when the roundup ends Yippee-ki-yi-yi and the campfire dims Yippee-ki-yi-yi he shouts and he sings When a cowboy trades his spurs for wings When they wrap my body in the bin sheet And they take my six eyes, pull the boots from my feet Unsaddle my pony, she'll be itching to roam I'll be halfway to heaven under horsepower of my own If you can